Well, tonight we're uh, back in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and uh, we're looking at Paul telling us or encouraging us to, to walk worthy, to walk worthy of the calling. So what I'd like to do first is just look at verse 1, and then we'll come back and look at some of the other verses a little later. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I understand that if you have the King James Version, I know it says worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. But the word means in the Greek lexicon, the Thayer's Greek lexicon, the definition is the divine invitation to embrace salvation in the kingdom of God. This calling is not a call to preach, although there is a calling to preach. It's not the call to teach. It's not the call to missions. It is a call that Paul has been talking about to experience with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's the call to Christ himself both now and for eternity, Paul in uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know the hope of that calling and the glorious riches of his inheritance in the, in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. All of that is encompassed in that calling. That is your calling and that is my calling. That calling is the call to salvation. Now, a long time ago, there was a false notion adopted by some in the church that God had different standards for different callings. Those who were called to preach ought to live by one standard. And then those who were missionaries lived by a missionary standard. And then those who were deacons lived by another standard. And then a plain old church member would follow a far less stringent standard. Well, there's no such teaching in the New Testament. So when you come to this verse, you can't say, well, that's the preacher's verse. He ought to walk worthy of his calling. Or that's the missionary's verse. He ought to walk worthy of his calling. No, it's your verse. And the first question that ought to come to your mind is, uh, and here's the second point, not what is that calling, but have I received such a calling? Have I heard such a voice? And so this verse, when Paul says, walk worthy of the calling, it insinuates there has to be a voice. If I'm going to call somebody, if I'm going to call your name, like Samuel heard and he thought it was Eli calling, and it wasn't Eli calling, it was the Lord calling. So there's a moment in everybody's life when the Lord awakens you to hear that calling. But it's not just about hearing the call, it's about receiving the call. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And it's the drawing of that call when God calls you. Those who become disciples of Jesus in the New Testament 
all responded to an invitation when they heard Jesus say, follow me. So what I'm suggesting to you is that you've heard that invitation and I have heard that invitation. That calling has come to you. And some people have answered that call. Now, I want to make a difference here and a distinction, and I think it's really important, and it's something some of us need to think about. There's a difference between responding to an altar call where a person joins the church and answering the call to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because down through the years, unfortunately, some people joined the church answered a call to join the church in their mind and in their heart. That's what they were doing. They were becoming members of an organization. They became members of that organization by baptism, but they did not become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because there needs to be a moment in time when you hear the Lord calling you. Now, I don't think you will hear that with your ears audibly, although I will not discount that because some people down through the years have sensed that the Lord spoke to them in some way, and I will not discount that at all. But most people are going to hear Jesus speaking to them in their heart, tugging at their heart, just like it says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So, But if you're depending on your church membership to get you to heaven, church membership is a ship that won't make heaven's harbor. Paul is talking about those who have answered the call to follow Jesus. But the big question is, are you walking worthy of that call? And that's where we come to verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read those verses now. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Those three simple verses outline several different ways that let us know if we're walking worthy of the calling that the Lord has given us. And so what would be the first thing that would indicate I'm walking worthy? Well, Paul said, if you're walking worthy, you're going to be walking humbly. You're going to be walking humbly. Did you know that the ground around the cross is level ground? Now, I know that we talk about the hill called Mount Calvary, but spiritually speaking, the ground around the cross is level ground. All of us who have been called to the cross stand there as equals. We stand there broken and in need of Jesus. The only reason that we can stand there is because we've been called, we've been invited, we've been beckoned and awakened to our need, invited to come and stand at the foot of the cross with others who've been called. I was not worthy of that call. You were not worthy of that call. Please understand that. You can't ever be worthy to answer the call to Jesus, but you're called in grace. And, and, and as we stand there at the foot of the cross, all of us have been called by grace. But have you been called? That's the first thing that we need to know. And if you have, then walk humbly. You have no reason to be proud or to consider yourself better or worthy. But since you have been called, 
walk worthy by first walking humbly. Now, I want to remind you that when Jesus first calls a person, you know, we talked about Lazarus this morning being dead in his tomb. All of us who have been called and heard that call were just like Lazarus. Paul said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And each one of us, no less dead than Lazarus. You think about it. No corpse is any less or more dead than another corpse. Now, although they may be in different stages of decay, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul said, you hath he quickened, or he, he made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He called you from the graveyard of sin, gave life to your dead spirit, robed your putrid soul in the robe of his righteousness, and invited you to walk with him. You think Lazarus was thankful when he was able to sit some days later at the table with Jesus after Jesus raised him from that tomb? Do you think he was proud? I don't think he was proud. I think Lazarus was incredibly humbled to have known that the Lord gave him such a blessing, called him out of death and into life. So can you ever be worthy of what Christ has done for you? No, please understand that. And that's not what Paul's saying, but you can walk in a way that reveals that you comprehend what he's done for you and who it is who's called you. Walk humbly. You've been called to walk with Jesus. But second, to walk worthy of that calling, you need to walk surrendered. The Bible says here, walk in, in gentleness, not only with humility, but gentleness. And for those of you who've been in church on Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about the Beatitudes and Matthew chapter 5, and we looked at a word called meek. And the word meek has a special meaning in the Greek. In ancient times, the word meek was used to describe the taming of a wild horse. When a desert-bred horse was saddle-broken and bridled, they used the word meek to describe that animal. The animal was still physically powerful with a bold temperament, and a strong will, but the reins were in the hands of a different master. And that's the picture that you have here. The will has been broken. Uh, 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 this person is under the authority of their Lord. Now, if I am kicking and bucking and resisting my Lord and his will for my life, I am not walking worthy. Uh, a, a person who is walking worthy is, is living a yielded and surrendered life. Last week we talked about Mary. And Mary, when the angel Gabriel spoke to her, after she heard what Gabriel had to say, you remember she said, Behold, uh, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. In other words, she was simply saying, Not my will, but thine be done. The plan and purpose of God had first place in her life. That's the person we're talking about here. A person who surrendered. Uh, is anything less worthy of your calling? Now, I know if you're a member of an organization and your membership in that organization depends on nothing more than attending a few meetings and paying your dues, you do what, just what will get by. But what does the Lord demand when he calls you to himself, he demands absolute surrender. He demands that you yield up your whole life to him. Now, is that how you're living? 
Is your thought life yielded up to him? Are your decisions yielded up to him? Is your life purpose and your future yielded up to him? Even your relationships yielded up to him. Why? I should do so because the honor of my Lord is at stake. And I want to please him in every respect. But second, second the integrity of the body is at stake. It, it's, there's a wider reputation to consider. We've been talking on Sunday nights. I've been using an illustration. I used it first with the little children to help them understand. But I understand that some of you need more illustrations than others. So we're going to talk, Billy, about that rock again that we drop in the water. And I'm going to explain to Billy, when you drop a rock in a pond, that rock makes ripples, doesn't it? Just like I'm making ripples now all through you. It makes ripples and it goes not just in the middle of the pond, but those ripples go out and impact the whole pond. You've seen that before when we drop that rock in the water. It's the same way in the church. And we talk about our relationships with one another. And I was in a small church one time. We had way back before I came to Agricola. And we had about five deacons in that church, two of them would not speak to one another. The whole time I was there, they never spoke to each other. They would tip hats to one another on the front porch when they walked by, but they had no relationship with one another. You know, I, I never knew. I, and both of them, I want to tell you, both of those men were excellent men. They were good men, but they didn't speak to one another. There was a coldness and distance between them, and everybody knew it. It was a bad reflection on their Lord. It was not worthy of the calling to which they'd been called, not just of being a deacon, but of being a Christian. In your personal relationships, are you walking worthy? And remember, the impact of a broken relationship has a ripple effect, and it doesn't just affect you where you sit on your pew or the person who sits beside you. It impacts the whole body. And then he says, you need to walk with long suffering. The, the word here, the Greek word is a compound Greek word. And uh, the first part of the word is macro. We understand macro. We got micro and we've got macro. Macro means long or large. The other means thumia and it means explosive anger. And what the word really means, so you got explosive anger on one side and you've got macro on this side. And it means I got a long fuse. You understand that? When somebody has a short fuse and they explode at the drop of a hat or somebody's got a long fuse, you know, they, they, they bear up under a lot. And that's what it's talking about here. And this is a reference to how we walk with one another. These are the practical aspects of our Christianity. If my will is surrendered to Christ, and if I've come to understand that I stand on, with my brother on level ground at the foot of the cross, and I understand that, that my Lord has been patient with me, not giving me what I deserve when I sinned against him, then I'm going to show the same compassion to my brother when his words and actions bring hurt to my life. Can I tell you what I found down through the years? I find my patience is a lot longer with a person when I'm willing to pray for them. Maybe I don't even want to pray for them, but it's something, it's a practice that sometimes we need to exercise, take a moment to pray for the person. Uh, maybe you've got a broken relationship with somebody. 
why would you do that? Well, I didn't say you had to pray that the Lord would mend the relationship. Just pray for the other person. Did you know the Bible says that we're to love our enemies? Do you know Jesus said that we ought to pray for those who despitefully use us? That's what Jesus said. Now, I'm just telling you what Jesus said that we ought to do. And so I think about Don and Howard. I think I can use their names now. I won't use their last names. But Don and Howard, two men, retired men, really, in that church who wouldn't speak to one another. And I think about how much better it would have been for them and for their church, maybe if they'd taken some time to pray for one another and been long-suffering with one another. Such an attitude displays that we are walking worthy of our calling. And finally, when you're walking worthy, you're walking together. You're maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's the last point, is to walk together. A pastor was having a bad experience in his church. One of the deacons in the church was opposed to everything he did. The deacon's wife was also mean-spirited. Once the pastor tried to leave the church, but... But the Lord didn't allow him to do so. He simply wouldn't allow him to run. But how could God fix a situation that was so clearly a hindrance to that pastor personally and professionally? Well, there was a Sunday morning's men's prayer group in that church, and some men began to meet a couple of hours before church. They didn't pray for a couple of hours. They'd meet and pray and then go get breakfast and then come back to Sunday school and church and a few men would meet in the sanctuary and they would, they would pray for, for other men uh, in the church. And one Sunday uh, at one of those prayer meetings, the deacon who had been the pastor's antagonist was present. And before the prayer meeting dismissed, the deacon spoke before the small group, just five or six men there. They were all gathered right down in front of the church, just like sitting on these front rows here. And that deacon said, Pastor... He said, you've been my pastor now for about seven years. And all these seven years, I've been wrong about you. I've just been wrong. And I want to say that before these men. And I want to say it before you. And I want to apologize. The pastor was surprised to say the least. But that moment had a ripple effect in the life of that church. As a result of those prayer meetings, men began to, men began to come to know the Lord. The church experienced a season of revival. Two men in that church surrendered their lives to the ministry and went on to seminary. One of those men in that church has been in our church, and he runs a Christian bed and breakfast now. I was that pastor. Our church experienced revival, and that deacon, who was my antagonist over the last 20 plus, 25, 26, 27 years has been one of the greatest blessings to my life and my family. It was an amazing thing, the difference that took place in that church when people began to walk together, maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But those things are things that only God can do. Only God can do them. When we walk humbly, when we yield up our lives and surrender and say, 
Here I am, Lord, use me however you want to use me. When we, you know, keep our fuse long and when somebody steps on our toes, we try to, instead of throwing rocks back, we say, well, Lord, I'm going to pray for that person and let's see what you will do. And sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes you'll even want to run before it gets better. And sometimes, like this morning we talked about Lazarus, you don't want to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb because you know what's inside. And you're not sure the Lord can handle it or that you can if it's exposed. But let me tell you what. When you let the Lord have things that you can't do anything about and you can't do anything with, it's amazing to see how he changes it and how he heals it.